The Q Affair. Part two, the Q Woo. While some similarities to living people may exist in your mind on reading this novel, it is a work of fiction. So it's your problem if you have people like this in your life. Chapter 16. I found out who he was just after Xmas. He'd given me photos from Q that he said were from a meeting he'd set out for at dawn on Xmas Eve held within the White House. Very exciting, I'm sure, in his mind and impressive that he'd given me these exclusive photographs as a special Xmas treat. I was nonplussed as usual, as so many of his photos to date looked like either stock photos or something he'd whipped from some unsuspecting person's Facebook family album. I pretended to be pleased, of course, but when I realised I had a break at last, I didn't have to pretend. I found a photo which proved he was lying. One he said was taken going into the meeting that hadn't been stripped of its exit info like the others, and I'd came up with an online match in the image search results. It was from a website about the White House from a few years earlier. At last, proof he was lying. This was proof he wasn't Q. What need had Q of photos from websites if he was there himself? I'd had a bigger break than that just a couple of days later as I'd renewed my efforts with the photos, trawling through potential matches online for the photos of him. I'd found, finally found a match for one he'd claimed with others he'd given me was of himself. The first one he'd given me was the first I matched online after looking for it over and over. After that first one of him, it was easier to find more since he'd taken several photos of the same military man from the same website. Stolen valour. Perfect. I rubbed my hands in glee. Now, you swine, I cackled. Now we shall play a game and we'll see how you like this game. I knew Q liked games. It was one of his little phrases that he'd stolen from an old movie, just as the Liber Locust had lifted some of its images and phrases from an old version of a computer game about assassins and time travel. Q. Hi, gorgeous. Kissy emoji. Narrator. Hi, Jay. Kissy emoji. Q. How are you? Narrator. Great. Small talk ensues while I giggle and wait for the moment to be right. A few minutes later, after some small talk. Shall we play a game? Q. What? Shall we play a game? A bit of silence where I imagine he's sensing something's up, as he was capable of doing, though never what's actually going on, not having empathy to help him understand how a well-joined-up mind might think. I say, 
Very well, then, before he diverts the conversation and I begin to question him. Well, Q does say question everything. Were you at the White House on Xmas Eve? Of course I was. Repeat last two lines a few times. You get the idea. I asked if there was anything he wanted to tell me before we went on with the game. He was getting rattled by now, trying to deflect. Bit of flirting. Bit of me flirting back. Him posting a romantic clip of glamorous couple playing chess and flirting. I played along for a while, kicking off a virtual high heel and running a cheeky foot up his shin as I hesitated over my move. I was in no hurry now. I was rather enjoying this game, I have to admit. The deflection attempt failure was pointed out by me, by a return to topic and initial question repeated with the addendum that I just wanted the truth and wouldn't be angry if he told the truth. He hoped, he said, I wasn't calling him a liar. Okay, I said, I won't then. I'll just say, time's up, to answer the question. I plonked up the White House photo that I'd found the match to and had him confirm he'd taken it before going into the meeting. Then I threw up the link to the web page. He knew he was cut. He tried to recover by saying how ridiculous I was being, but I had more photos and put them up one by one in the window, taking my time to scroll back a bit and get screenshots of our conversation as I posted. He had a few minutes of quiet contemplation in which to consider the new situation. I had the photo of the uniformed soldier and its match and a few more of the same man with the link to where I'd eventually found them online. The guy was a soldier who was dead but didn't die in battle in Afghanistan where the photo had indeed been taken but at home in bed beside his wife and baby just a few weeks before the great and powerful Q had given it to me. I almost felt sorry for him, but didn't. It just seemed such a tasteless thing to do, and that's putting it mildly. He recovered from the shock quickly and got more honest than I'd ever seen him be. Admitted he was lying once he knew there was no way to wriggle out of it. Said he'd thought, hey, why not go big, seeing as how he was. He wanted to know what I wanted. Was it money? No, I said. I wanted the truth, but I didn't get it, did I? You could almost hear his mind whirring, thinking through the consequences of being found out, and I wasn't giving him much help. I was in a going to bed at a decent hour kind of mood, I found. Rather good mood now. Like most people, I like to win at games, once in a while. I announced I was pretty tired and said good night. I got ready for bed, laughing, and slept very soundly that night. The next day, I started writing a blog post, and it was a pretty entertaining one, if I say so myself. 
I also did a video which was pretty informative. I had some photos to show that I'd printed out and an interesting story to tell. The blog post on the video got a fair few views compared to my usual view count. Desiree had helped by talking about it on her channel as she wasn't expecting the revelations at all. All kinds of people swarmed me from other channels on Twitter and in my comments and they all wanted me to join forces with them to defeat the big bad Terence, as I'd also shared my suspicions about it being Terence. Terence made things worse for himself, I thought, by immediately setting up an interview on Phony Wars to claim he wasn't this Jay guy but that he seemed very nice and that it was clearly just some misunderstanding. Jay, he said, had admitted that he'd somehow led me to believe that he was Terence, you see. No mention of the identity theft deception or the fakery with the photos, just the sticking up for the guy he didn't really know. It sounded unbelievable even to truthers who would believe literally anything if it were a fun enough story or had some sensational elements to keep them hooked. This one seemed to be keeping them hooked because Terence was at last coming out of his shell of mystery a little, even if still not showing his face, and still if the narrative were to be believed on the run from the creditors who were after his guts for garters but would settle for serving him court papers that said he'd harassed and defamed them online and that he'd absconded without paying them what he owed for business deals. Since the host of the show Terence was on also made a thing of not showing his face ever, this hiding his face wasn't so strange, but it didn't look great either for Terence in the circumstances where he was getting accused of impersonating a dead guy more or less, in a roundabout way, and of pretending to be cue into the bargain. Meanwhile, Desiree had decided that although Jay wasn't Bob Coventry after all, I must be working with Q to bring America itself down, or else working against Q to bring America down. She hadn't quite worked out which option to plump for yet in her storyline but would sort it out soon enough, I thought. Either way, she was ecstatic about the potential views. Oh yes, it was a plot against American families. She knew that. It crossed my mind that her favourite emailers were probably helping out with her plot handling when not busy failing to adequately handle their own ever-thickening plot. Terence, who she was also emailing back and forth with now, was clearly, she pointed out, not this Q fellow. Their email styles were so different, I must be brain damaged to even suggest it. Fandango was annoyed with me as well. His annoyance seemed to stem from the fact that the cluster of people with access to grind about Terence's ill treatment of them on their various channels had approached me on mine to join up with them, to be an official Terence victim to no avail. 
Fandango's channel had been something of a meeting place for anyone with an axe to grind on Terence's head. Pissed off puzzlers who he'd ruined the puzzle for with these ongoing fights about the trademark, which clearly their friend and fellow puzzler Fandango had some right to in lieu of money owed for work done, still unpaid for, and others like Laplace loyalists who wanted their friend recompensed too for all the hours of work on videos and graphics for the puzzle. I turned down the damsel in distress role, as I had been put in that position once already, and found that it didn't suit me very well. They had a few damsels stepping forward for the role, I noticed, for the heroes in chat to defend. Terence was a cad and bounder to women, and they were outraged their ladyfolk had suffered at his hands. No, I was going it alone and wasn't about to be on anyone's team or be reduced to a mere maiden, spineless as a jellyfish, at the mercy of LARPing gamers pretending to stick up for my honour when most of them were probably part of the numbered game. They'd one lady they'd already wheeled out from the wings for an interview who, we were informed, had been initially approached by Terence and the Snow White person before being bombarded with the White Rabbit narrative and the puzzle stuff. She'd been irresistibly attracted, it seemed, by the spiritual fluffy-type drivel they specialised in pushing on other New Age Terence pals' channels, which she covered on her own channel, and they had been emailing back and forth to her. I imagined they'd probably tried to do a head melt on her the way Jay had tried on me, but they had more fluff to throw at it since she was emailing a few of them back and forth rather than just getting stuck in communication with one of them as I had with Jay. The incoming overload of what one would be too kind to call information that he felt compelled to keep up with, being keen to spiritually awaken and be reborn, became too much for her and had resulted in a meltdown incident from too much fluff buildup in the fans or wherever, which saw her end up in a hospital psych ward for a while. Terence, they told us, had been called at her request during the worst of it, since the husband hadn't a whole lot of idea at the time just how much of the meltdown Terence had helped cause, what with his Instapal's introduction service and the overload of inspirational posters, quotes, and the universe loves you type material covering up the manipulation tactics and mind conditioning. The husband showed us hospital notes where Terence, in a fit of utter stupidity, had claimed over the phone to be a psychiatrist friend of hers, making recommendations about meds and saying she was just fine to go home. He had about as much sense as my Jay. They all loved having this woman as their victim. It made Terence a man who you could threaten with your pitchfork because women folk. You didn't even have to question it. Women were there to be protected. Never mind that you called them all sorts of names the rest of the time and didn't actually think much of them. That was different, apparently. 
good versus bad and all that. I'd noticed that their team was looking very like a cyber stalking gang, shaping up to go after him very aggressively on YouTube and Twitter with pitchforks at the ready. And it wasn't my scene charging around the virtual field of YouTube battles in a mob up against one person, no matter how unsavoury they seemed to be. I figured I'd a good chance of Q just leaving me the heck alone now, since he'd be so busy evading everyone that wanted his guts for garters, for stolen valour, and pretending to be their beloved Q, and the puzzle brigade wanting a piece of him, if you'll forgive the illusion, too. He had plenty to be getting along with, to take his mind off thinking about going after me. I could say my troubles were over then, and I thought there was a chance of that. But I knew what Jay was like, after all those months, and there wasn't much chance, he'd just let it go. He liked to win games too. It's a control thing, and he couldn't be beaten and live with it, or see himself as beaten. So he kept slugging, bless him. Terence's first stop was my blog to threaten me in the comments under the post, saying he'd many emails to and from Desiree, who had told him all sorts of things about me, which he was going to put all sorts of places online that I wouldn't like. Well, I thought to myself, I kind of knew already you were writing to her, didn't I? Bet you gave her lots of new info too, didn't you? I had a choice. I could take the blog down or I could have this happen. I refused to take it down initially. I think personally that if someone threatens a smear campaign about you, they'll do it anyway, once the thought has occurred to them, particularly if they hate you as much as Terence hated me then. Jay informed me later in the day that he'd been hacked. These Q-types, even the NSA, had awfully poor security. They had, unfortunately, got hold of my email address, which Jay knew because I'd given it to him, in case, as he claimed, our comms might be compromised by shadowy somebody or others. The hackers, he said, had then regrettably passed it on to Terence, who I'd refused to email to negotiate with, when he threatened me in the blog post comment section with the smear campaign. The other person they'd sent my email address to was, yes, you guessed it, dear reader, Desiree. So Jay joined in the fun with Terence, becoming more outgoing than usual in Twitter coming out in the open to join in coordinating the smear campaign on me with Terence, starting straight away by tweeting out bits of our DMs and my name with the threat to tweet more. It reminded me of the Q and Trump tweets, Zero Deltas, the timed tweets that proved that Trump and Q were working together, synchronised in QAnon logic. In my email box, Desiree was merrily sending me email about my imminent trip to jail for my crimes against humanity. It got even nastier, though, 
because not only would I still not do business with Terence when he kept emailing me to say how we would be super friends if I would only remove the silly blog and he would introduce me to all his super talented friends who were creators like myself who I would get along with like a house on fire. But when I said no thanks, he started threatening me again on Twitter and on YouTube videos, having started another channel up, especially for the purpose of threatening his growing list of enemies on. When he tweeted out that he planned to have me followed, in coded puzzler style of course, thinly veiled but obvious, since he had several sycophants retweeted including his Freemason buddies, who were his most loyal trolls, strangely enough, as most of the channels that trolled the worst claimed to be enlightened types and used images from my own videos featuring the landscape backdrop where I lived to make the threats. I thought it might be about the right time to start thinking about making a police visit. He followed up with the video, promising to contact police himself in my area and ring the locals where I lived with various stories about me. He tweeted a photograph of a newspaper with the day's date and one of my live streams showing with a coffee cup and table with condiments I recognised as from the restaurant I worked in to show me he could stalk me personally if he wanted or have someone do it. And I felt I'd reason enough to finally contact police that they would take it seriously and not think me too silly. They took a signed statement from me and sent it to some agency or other in America. Terence, according to them, never did contact police as he said he would. I had seen just how bad the whole argument was getting with the rest of them death threats flying about left and right with them and Terence was said to be on the run from the law with a bitcoin bounty. These truther channels never missed a chance to promote bitcoin which they were constantly urging people to invest in, something which I didn't really understand but felt was very furtive. Dramatically offered by Fandango for finding him and said to myself okay Time to retreat again, even if I was still surrounded, now that I'd got police to pay attention to the situation. I couldn't get away from this new gang that had descended, though, into threads, as they seemed to be adding people to the swarm arriving, pinning me in, even as Terence was temporarily off, plotting, it turned out, to do blog posts on me with an occultist conspiracy sycophant of his, having a few around him who seemed to quite enjoy trolling people for him. The Terence hater teams were worse than Jay had been, though when threatening me or Terence, just because there were so many of them at once, plaguing me with insults, descending like locusts, if I may borrow the metaphor from the puzzle they were all fighting over, and seemed to be mostly solvers on, and they were much filthier in style than he was about it. Where he was underhand and sneaky, they assaulted me verbally and visually, openly, with smut in tweets, poking their barbs in and had me trapped on their tweet threads, defending against their slander, sandwiched between the two sides of an argument. Terence was on mine, blocking me in, with his twin identity, off in a side-prong attack, 
while the sycophant was busy using specially written emails by Jay, written to him, respectfully calling him Sir, that he would use the blog post to smear me and reveal information on his blog post about me, like addresses and family details, without Terence getting blamed. I was treated to the most disgusting things they could think of to say to me and about me sexually in tweets and character-wise in the blog in relation to the Q character with the odd gif employed or meme created to load up the pressure on me with the aim being to get me to close the computer and presumably the blog and social media accounts altogether. Using photos taken from my own videos choosing stills where my mouth was open, paired up with a pointy vegetable and a reference to Falartio maybe, or allegations of taking money for sex in tweets and on their YouTube channels, giving him money to seduce me in another tweet and on video too, being a hag, fat, a troll for hire, anything they could think of in the moment and anything to keep me out there trying to defend myself hopefully in their minds, until I wore myself out in the effort. It became rather obvious at this stage that they too, like the Dragon Watch group, had all been in contact with Desiree for quite a long time by email, since they had some early narratives of hers, as well as recent ones to draw on, and were admitting she provided her research on me to them. Fandango and Terence were both, I noticed, from what Laplace was tweeting about their old emails, still in contact with the woman higher up the YouTube truther handler chain, who they had both worked for. And it was she who had made the phone call to police complaining about Fandango harassing Terence that Fandango was now blaming me for in tweets and later in the evenings on videos, despite her name and number being plainly visible on a police report he was showing. A fake fight, it seemed, created just for chaos and kicks, with me, the kicky, to take some focus off Terence temporarily as suspect for the faked identity of the soldier or the Stone Age puzzle addressed emails to Desiree. There was so much chaos going on, it was hard to figure out the aim of the game at this point. Perhaps they weren't coordinating the teams and were freestyling the hate for clicks and kicks. I didn't know or care. I just looked forward to when they'd wear themselves out instead of me, as I knew I wasn't the quitting when the going got tough type. I looked forward to when they lost interest and I could get back to a bit of peace and quiet, finally. I believed they'd get bored of me eventually and turn back to Terence for a change of tempo. Maybe they'd all leave me alone then. They had the thrill of jeering Terence about his looks now, after all, since he'd accidentally shown himself momentarily on video in the usually obscured phone lens. And he was an obese ageing man, not the younger, lacy-sleeved fellow flapping his elbows about at the keyboard he'd wanted us to think he was still. 
He had a terrible smoker's cough on video as well. A bit like Jay, the stress must have been getting to him. I knew how he'd felt. Even if I hadn't been stabbed, shot, had a heart attack, been run over, had my arm broken by them, or whatever other things he'd wanted me to believe the grannies and gamers, who he insisted were mostly spies, had done to him. When he was still hopeful, I'd dole out some sympathy for his terrible plight, none of which, of course, he had any part in causing. My blog was one of the main pitchforks they employed to poke Terence with, turning the references in it which I'd made to the love affair that the mysterious soldier had had with me in DMs into a kinky sex fest. As per usual with YouTubers, they just made up a narrative. This one kept the element of identity theft in and they tweeted out the soldier's picture but teamed it up with photos of me to harass both of us at the same time with sex allegations. I'd had sex parties online with the Q-team men and live-streamed it, apparently. The blog post was proof out of my own slutty mouth. I was a slut who'd had multiple abortions, according to Desiree's research, so I was bound to get up to all sorts once alone with Terence the monster. I took the blog post down, hoping it would help calm things and take some of their fuel away that they were using to feed into the narrative and fuel it further. This just made them more angry as it was proof that I was a paid employee of Terence, as much as my being seen out in the open in threads with him on Twitter. Never mind that they were too, in groups that they had a little gang, team name members, names for. That wasn't in the script. They were the goodies and we were the baddies. Although increasingly, I was starting to wonder whether they were all just on the side of chaos magic and polemic mayhem and really all working together to create it with him. This impression was borne out by inconsistencies that emerged as time went on, like the fact that the woman who made the phone call was still in contact with both Fandango and with Terence, which was a pretty big inconsistency given that she donated money regularly in Fandango's live stream, as well as donating to Terence's troll friends on their live streams. What was up with that? Why was Desiree so friendly with someone she insisted was in the murder gang and accepting money from him? Why was she helping to establish the idea that both Jay and Terence, the murderous stalkers who both donated money to her channel, were not the same person, but that Jay was definitely an NSA person, even though his email was like a troll introduction service for her channel? with all sorts of Q non-people cc'd in the addresses, so she could presumably meet new stalkers to email regularly with. It was well underway on YouTube as well, the expanding smear campaign against me.
Fandango did a show with a map on it, explaining how I was going to be found, just like Terence, who it was being said was on the run from the law now, going from motel to motel, frantically trying to evade justice for his harassment of YouTubers like him, through all the email and threatening phone calls he'd made. And meanwhile, I had made that harassment complaint phone call for Terence too, according to him, to get the police called to Fandango's house, or at least his second mommy, an elderly sub who rented a room to him with chintzy curtains and pastel paintwork, which he sometimes got a break from when live streaming by using a green screen backdrop with zoomy gamer graphics instead. There were none of the Alistair Crowley witchcraft books on her chintzy shelves, I noticed, having seen one on her favourite books playlist on her channel. Perhaps the wickedest man doesn't match the pastel look or pretend nice she tried to project in his chat as his mod mommy. Odd. Truth can be stranger than QAnon save the children hashtags on Twitter sometimes though. And often on YouTube, truth doesn't even come into it when they're on a roll with a deliberately confusing narrative to melt minds for their crazy ops. Watch out when I was caught for this phone crime, he said, whipping away the police report showing the other woman's name, because everyone would know what and who I was, and they would tell all the whereabouts of Terence's gang members that did his trolling for him. They were going to make sure I would never show my face again anywhere online after geolocating me with sophisticated software, Rolls eyes. I was a killer to boot, they screamed in chat, warming up to their topic, to fever pitch now. Killing an innocent old lady's daughter and throwing people off bridges. Yes, I'll tell you about it when I catch my breath after running on here. And getting very well paid for doing it. Yes, I was evil like Terence, and they were doing the right thing, dragging evil into the light and insisting it pay for all its crimes. I don't think Fandango liked me cracking jokes about him on my blog either. Somehow, I thought wryly. They don't like you laughing while they're giving it their all in the cyber harassment department, let alone having a giggle at the dopey plot lines they constructed for their channels that they wanted everyone to take seriously. These were the kind of people that got their subs to call in bomb hoaxes to police so that they could get a huge port shut down for the day just to get their views up on their channels and get the subs all wound up and excited into the bargain so that they'd keep coming back to the channel for their excitement fix and the host could feel like he was a master of the universe commanding them to do his will. Maybe it was on orders from their higher-up handlers for a bigger agenda I didn't yet understand. Nothing was beyond them to try. Monograph, who I had once stuck my neck out for as a complete stranger on Desiree's channel to ask if she'd proof when she called him a pedo, had a budget movie scriptwriter working with him, 
making videos to push the pedo angle for clicks all along. And I could see that they were doing this bit of theatre now for amusement of their audience, as much as for punishment for me, for not going along with what they wanted from me in the victimhood plan and to try to shift me off YouTube, as Desiree had been attempting to do for a long time. How harassed I felt didn't come into the equation at all for them. I was simply becoming very inconvenient as my narrative was always adrift from theirs and not able to be ignored as well as they would like. What with that darn number you weren't supposed to mention starting to get mentioned by me rather a lot. I rather thought they were all familiar with the number and the op names like op panic mind at this stage. It was pretty unhinged even despite the fact a fair few of them were into the Discordian and Thalema Crowleyan stuff. It went beyond even what had already been done on Desiree's channel earlier, since there were more subs from various channels joining in the fun, with the Laplace guy bringing over some of the trolls that had given Lift the Curtain such a bad time on his channel. It lacked any of the good humour that the original Discordian idea from the books and fanzines I'd looked at had had. It did, however have some of the darker feeling going for it that the numbered plan that was the op's blueprint suggested and that Michael Quinn had hinted at in his channel's narrative of his son being kidnapped by Satanists involved with this account that had led to the numbered game. This was an online gang-stalking psychological operation of a person they knew well had no affiliation to Terence at all, since a lot of them had worked with them on the puzzle. A few of them were probably on the queue-op too, since Fandango was starting to mention that as his idea too, and they would have known if I'd had any contact with them when they did start on the queue-op. Strangely, even the queue supporters on Fandango's channel usually so vociferous about saving children, didn't care when Fandango announced his dad was a paedophile who had also just killed himself on being discovered, although not off a bridge like the actor that Terence was supposed to have been handling. It just merited the usual bummer man, and he seemed satisfied enough with that small injection of sympathy. The plot lines were getting so confused that you had to conclude that you weren't supposed to know what was real and what wasn't anymore. Indeed, one of the ops I remembered was the op mind melt one, which I supposed was this chaos among truthers, which often resulted in the frenzied and unhinged atmosphere now in evidence on so many channels with the hate ratcheted up to 12 on a scale of 10 and empathy at zero. Had it been an electric guitar, it would have been eardrum bursting feedback instead of music playing. Once you saw it, 
It was impossible to pull the strands apart cleanly, to say for sure who made what part, exactly when, in the different intersecting ops running. The early Liber Locust videos, though, with Q and the puzzle, they had Terence's hand all over them, I believed. You could see his favourite obsessions there, and how himself and someone like the augurer of nasty bridge deaths could have enjoyed many hours of putting to get together ideas from these way back. They had gathered their fans and solvers from Masonic trolls on 8chan, as well as pretend hacker wannabe CIA mommy's basement type solvers with dreams of a bit more glamour and maybe some respect feature of their lives, as well as presumably a few who just liked puzzles. I had called it the correct rabbit hole after all. No wonder they were upset at me. They treated the ops with the reverence, some reserve for their religion, and it was a whole lifestyle and a political agenda, and they were extremely emotionally attached to, not just a little puzzle to them. To some higher up in the op, such as those handling channels and handling the boards they posted on, and on upwards to the top levels of the op, it represented money to be made as well. Oh, those blueprints for the ops and how they tied the whole mess together when you started to be able to decode them. Terence liked to talk, not just in public, and something we discovered from the emails everyone started showing about him as he threatened more to shut up. He had forever been trying to pit one of them against the other secretly whenever he didn't get what he wanted. He would then try to ensure their silence on whatever it was at the time by having something to blackmail each one of them with whenever possible, usually by encouraging them in gossiping about other YouTubers with him in emails, sometimes paying them to join him in his underhand trolling style YouTube dealings or pay them to keep silent or threaten to say they'd colluded with him if they didn't do what he wanted. He cc'd a lot of people into his emails to drag them into every drama he created, thereby creating some cover for himself by implicating them in it and muddying the waters by having someone else to point at as the baddie instead of himself. Some of them, being just as egotistical as him, thought they could beat him at the same game if the emails that were being shown by various parties were genuine, as many an email was shown that made the person showing it look as guilty of, decep as de of deception as the person they were trying to bury with its being shown. I thought this seemed like what Jay had done in trying to get me dragged into the mess. And in fact, I discovered with surprise from a Desiree video that he claimed in an email to her that I had somehow got hold of a medical record of hers to blackmail her with, letting her know in this way that I was in contact with him, thereby dragging me in as cover for the things he was up to himself. He hadn't been as keen to show me the emails he sent her. 
and I could see why now she was showing a few after some sort of argument she'd had with him. The various people who had been friends fell out frequently since they were all so emotionally immature to start with and it was rich pickings when they did for emails for them to show around to implicate the other person in whatever narrative they wanted to push about them to create a smokescreen for themselves or cause chaos or get more clicks or mess with people's heads or whatever the agenda was for the desired outcome for a channel owner thinking about how to get folks behaving for their advantage. I believed something like this could as easily be the been the point of the cross email setup with me. Perhaps he'd hoped to craftily incriminate me as being in a YouTube truther team or network of LARPers rather than just a blogger, being targeted by a team or him. I believed he'd decided to pretend to be someone else in order to be able to approach me, then sent the email to Desiree with Cross helping out, and had also wanted to further complicate matters for me by mentioning me as a fellow conspirator, seeking to blackmail Desiree with the non-existent medical record. Or he'd worked, worked it as a scam from the beginning with Desiree, using the medical record lie to discredit me and get rid of me off social media altogether thereby removing one of his problems. I hadn't forgotten the dream she told us about on her channel, her balancing act at the edge of the roof when she'd been hiding the other giggling version of herself from Cross's view while she kept a straight face. Either of these options seemed much more plausible than the hacking explanation Jay had given me and equally as plausible as the theory that it was a LARP carried out on Desiree by Terence. Now, if Terence fell under too much suspicion for the emails to Desiree, he had more options. He could claim I was working with Q, or even that I was Q, or a Q team member myself. Anyway, you looked at it, it made for another narrative to fight about with a nice ready-made scapegoat, me, and a nice extra layer of confusion to benefit Terence. In fact, something like that was tried with the smear blog post his loyal troll pal wrote in order to order for him, with the mass of new emails from Q to the blogging pal employed as proof. It came out a little too confused, their narrative there as well, though. They didn't want to say outright that I was the owner of the Stone Age address, since Terence clearly loved that puzzle, which had been around a long time and would lose fans and respect, not to mention the email address, if a mere female was now the mastermind behind it, as well as the mastermind that might be Q as well. In the same address, writing to Desiree, it was a quandary. And the story he got his blogging buddy to write didn't hang together well, particularly since they were implying there that I wrote the emails. But they were also using new emails from the same address as testimony from Jay that I was a no good 
devious female who was simply annoyed at being rejected romantically by him. It just didn't make any sense, as well as having the glaring omission of not referring to Jay's use of a false identity or the Q issue, and one got the feeling that Terence might be a little stumped for logical ideas, even if the email creative juices were flowing freely. The post performed its other function well, though, which was to put my name out with personal history, family and BS smear campaign info, all mixed together that would be useful for anyone else wishing to troll me on Terence's behalf. In fact, he and his buddy made sure emails from the JQ character were sent around to half the YouTube community, as far as I could see, to try to get them interested in trying to troll me. A few took the bait and made videos and tweeted or retweeted the links to them. Whether they got paid, I don't know. But Terence had admitted already to giving Desiree money. And I guessed it was much more and more regularly than he admitted to, just as Jay had admitted to. He didn't even understand, apparently, how bad that looked for him when he admitted these things. In some ways, he was smart, and in others, pretty stupid. I supposed this was because of the lack of empathy thing. He couldn't judge how others saw things. It was like an Achilles heel on a shoeless man. A big drawback for a guy who thought all that mattered was what the jury of YouTube thought of you. It was terribly important how you framed things for viewers to get them on your side, yet terribly difficult when you'd no idea how humans thought. You just had to mirror things they said, try to keep your face hidden and hoped you did a convincing job to keep them doing what you wanted. To heck with personal morality. What relevance did that have? Like love, that was just something you said wasn't it, with a few slick words if you wanted to keep the old rice bowl full. Terence had just hoped to neutralise me privately, but my researches on the origins of Q and the puzzle had led me to older discussion threads on 4chan's archives, which showed that not only had Terence been suspected of being involved in the Q posts since their inception, but he'd also been top suspect as the owner of the email address associated with the Stone Age puzzle for a long time back too. The Stone Age puzzle was widely thought of as being a precursor to and probably written by the same hand as the Liber Locust one and an earlier character with similar attributes to Q, secret anon, dating from before Q, posted his first drops was speculated on those old threads to be also his. These rumours about him weren't new, and that seemed, in my mind, rather significant, since nobody had been fighting back then. So what reason was there for anyone to make up rumours about him? Only now, when the trademark for their puzzle which I was getting to dislike every bit as much as Q, was being fought over in a most undignified way. Was he arguing he wasn't Q, hadn't anything to do with the op, despite the inconvenient fact that many of his were Q people, with his bestie cartoon character friend calling herself the mother of Q? 
No, he was just a humble composer who didn't know why they were all picking on him, perhaps envious of his genius, etc. His sock accounts usually turned up at this point in tweet replies or under his videos to agree with him that he was a true genius as well as a fine human being and truly one of America's greatest composers ever. It was comical and nauseating. Tellingly, one of his sycophants from 8chan was also actively pushing the line at the time that he had been Q while pals with Fandango and was now adamant that he wasn't Q and not the Stone Age account while he was now not supposed to be Fandango's pal anymore, but Terence was. And that Jay was just some lovely guy who'd been hard done by and terribly misunderstood and badly treated by me, owed an apology, in fact, for my dreadful treatment of him. No mention of the threat or ID theft deception still. This was how the small band of pals in his inner circle tried to cover for Terence, even as one of the sycophantic pals that had written the blog post for him was slipping up by referring to Jay as a sock fake account, a mistake he didn't make again, as they were supposed to be supplying facts, not stories. Damage control and distance was needed for Terence to get wiggle room, for an escape route, to get his wedged in, Winnie the Pooh tummy, out of the rabbit's hole, so to speak. Desiree had to talk about the Quinn NSA employee stalking her regularly to distinguish him from Terence, who was a just misunderstood genius to whom rules for normal people didn't apply and shouldn't. Sometimes she pretended to fight with Terence and be tolerating the completely other person, Jay, and sometimes fighting with Jay and tolerating Terence, but always pointing out that they were different people, even trying out the idea that Jay was a woman, letting the pronoun she slip, not very subtly, before saying, whoops, I mean he, to see if the viewers fell for that. I expected them to drag out an actor to be Jay at some stage to get Terence off the hook. But Jay's emails did bring a lot of clicks to the channel, so they couldn't bear to let him go. He was such a useful stalker to have about, like Terence. The Q fanatic B-list actor that had, it was said, had his channel handled by Terence, the same one that had once been interviewed by Lift the Curtain and warned by him that Terence was someone to watch out for, had the bad timing to kill himself in the middle of all this and the really bad grace and dreadful timing to throw himself off a bridge, which, if you remember, was exactly what they did to you when you didn't go along with what they wanted you to do. Now the guy was dead and as Fandango pointed out blood was on the hands of anyone that associated with Terence and that was me now as well. Oh boy I really didn't like Terence but I wasn't crazy about this lot either. They were practically trying to shove me into his arms for protection, which he was now promising. How darn gallant of him.
So the chaos was part of the bigger plan then. Everyone fighting was exactly what they wanted. And it didn't really matter who, with who, as long as chaos ensued and confusion ruled and none of the videos with their revelations mentioned anything about their involvement in the game, the Discordians, they palled about with played online, which was rather a large gap in their information giving and which looked very odd considering the huge amount of information I was now putting out about how it all worked, how the game was played and who was playing it. Desiree was not going with the programme either, I guessed, and after a brief but glorious period of grace on Fandango's channel, when everyone gathered from various channels to pay their respects to her firm treatment of Terence, who she professed to hate while seeming to quite like just as often on her nightly videos, she seemed to have served her purpose as an efficient slander creation and output machine for them now and she was summoned to Fandango's channel and throned the wolves oh so nicely. A series of emails that Desiree had sent Fandango from back when she first arrived on YouTube about me was produced. In them, someone else, not Q, was anonymously writing to her and working hard to identify me from my blog. What they didn't get right, they were just making up. But we didn't know who those emails were from, according to Fandango. He had tried to analyse them to find out, but no clues, unfortunately. I noticed in an email to Fandango who she was posting on the whole thread of them too. She was also giving instructions on which online donation account she wanted him to deposit a donation in. No mention was made of this as Fandango carried on, lightheartedly admonishing Desiree for being a silly sausage, causing a bit of a fuss online, quite the naughty old girl. Afterwards, over the next few weeks, he pretended none of it had happened and left Desiree to her own devices, at least publicly. Until someone messes up the script, or falls over the curtains and the lot comes down, who in the audience can ever know what goes on behind the stage's set?